Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction. Okay, so today's episode is kind of based on the fact that Fakri's going to Hawaii. Yeah, sorry, I'm leaving you behind. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about the abandonment issue. <laughs> but So let's just tell our listeners why you're going to Hawaii. Oh, it's a big family trip. Do you know there's lots of really, really good Japanese food there? Oh yeah, I'm all over the pokey. Okay, I just had to let you know. <laughs> this is the story of the Hawaiian luau. In 1810, Kamehameha the Great conquered Kauai and united the Hawaiian islands under one chief. This was the start of the Hawaiian monarchy and the Kamehameha dynasty. When Kamehameha the Great died in 1819, his son became the second king of Hawaii at only around 22 years old, Iolani Liholiho, otherwise known as Kamehameha II, had little experience in the military or in politics. The real powerhouse was Ka'ahumanu, his father's favorite wife. She shared the throne with Kamehameha II. Ka'ahumanu had appointed herself as prime minister. She had power, influence, and much more experience in politics than Kamehameha II. Both Ka'ahumanu and the king's mother wanted to end what was called kapu. The kapu basically was a list of rules regarding what Hawaiians weren't allowed to do. Both the female prime minister, Ka'ahumanu, and the king's mother wanted to end the kapu system, which forbade women from dining with men and also forbade them from eating certain foods, including pork, coconuts, and certain kinds of fish. Basically, women were not allowed to eat what was considered as the best foods. Not following kapu was punishable by death. So there were two eating houses, one for men and one for women. And within those eating houses, there was a further separation of people by rank. Chiefs and chiefesses got the most food and the best food. They were expected to eat often because feeding the chiefs was equal to feeding the gods. In fact, chiefs got massages after they ate so that their stomachs could digest better and they could eat again sooner. Fat was beautiful. Not only were there two eating houses, there were also two cooking houses because food prepared for men and women had to be prepared separately. This was so strict that if a woman touched a plate prepared for a man, it would be destroyed. But in these cooking houses, there were only men because men cooked all the food. If you go to a luau today, they make a point of this and it seems really sweet. But the truth is that they only did the cooking because most food-related activities were associated with male gods, and therefore women couldn't participate. In fact, all four of the great gods in Hawaii were male. Ku, the god of war. Lono, the god of agriculture and the harvest. 
Kane, the god of water and of life, and Kanaloa, the god of the sea. Even the well-known goddess of fire and volcanoes was considered more of a demigod than a full-blown goddess. Anyhow, during Kamehameha's rule, there was growing Western contact initiated by Captain James Cook in 1778. Exposure to different ideas brought change. So amongst the Hawaiians, there were both men and women that wanted to end the strict system of kapu. It was likely the Westerners that told the Hawaiians that Tahiti had overthrown their own sacred rule set, the tabu system, from which we get the word taboo. Nothing bad happened to them. There was no wrath of the gods. The Hawaiians treated Western ship captains as chiefs and their ships as their area of rule. On their ships, the captains got to make up their own kapu system, and they allowed women to eat whatever and however they liked. Again, nothing terrible happened to anyone, so belief in the kapu system eroded. Both Kamehameha II's stepmother and birth mother pushed him to end kapu. To everyone's surprise, except perhaps the two mothers that had pushed for it, Kamehameha II seated himself at the women's table during a great feast and ate with the women, thus breaking the eating kapu. This feast is considered the first ever luau, a feast where men and women ate together. The eating kapu was such a central rule in kapu that the rest of the system soon fell apart. The whole idea of what was sacred changed. Temples were destroyed soon after. Images of gods were burned. The term luau replaced the word for feast soon after the 1819 feast that ended kapu. No one really knows why people started calling feasts luaus instead of ahaainas. But the word luau, perhaps by coincidence, is symbolic of the end of kapu because it contains two ingredients that were once forbidden to women: coconut and taro leaves. As mentioned, pork was a most valued food in Hawaii, so at every luau there is a kalua pig. Fakri is currently in Hawaii, and she interviewed someone who hunts and cooks wild boar for luaus. Here's Fakri and Chico. Hey. All right, friends and food buffs. I'm speaking with Chico of the Koakia, and he's going to talk to us about hunting wild boar and how he goes through the process of preparing and cooking them.、Uh, so, what what do you look for when you're hunting? How do you hunt? Well, first of all, he's got a,、um, you got some、uh, dogs that you、okay. hunt with, so、um, so they're bred bred for it. And then、um, what you do is、um, you got a Pretty much、uh, head to where the、uh, well,、uh, pretty much up the county areas where the、uh, they let you、uh, they allow you to hunt with dogs, and you usually go with dog and knife. You could do it with a dog and knife, or you could go、um, with bow and arrow, or you could just with a gun. But I prefer like the old method, how we used to do it, is just dog and knife. Okay. So you get you get all into it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, your dogs go out there. You trust your dogs. You get out in there. Your dogs hold them up. They catch it for you. And they 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 pin it down for you. Just go over there. You kind of knife it in the、uh, juggler, and、um, just let it bleed out. And after that, you just uh, um, take care of, take care of the animal. You, you go through the process of gutting it, skinning it. Deboning it, 
do you do that on right where you right yeah right right on site and um pretty much you just take um the um pretty much you get to meet and stuff if you want usually what we do is um you go through the whole process of uh taking the bones too so the dogs get something to eat and snack on because they they work hard for it so you know it's you know it's like even even a even thing yeah yeah? 50 50 right you get you get reward of meat and the dogs get the bones so and yeah. how did you learn this? Do you go as a big group? Uh, well, uh, it's usually, usually, uh, you, you could teach it, but the, um, some people are, are there pretty much there. Either you're going to be, you're born, you're bred to do it, or you're not. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. it's like, either you got it in you or you don't. Yeah. I mean, you could teach someone how to hunt, but really, if you want to do it, you're going to, you're going to keep on, you're yeah. going to succeed in it. You know? It's like, it's like, Sports, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just like, it's, it's a sport. And if you love doing it, you're gonna, it's gonna happen. Yeah. But yeah. How often do you go out? Um, easy every chance I get. Yeah. So I mean, most majority was that, but I've got. I was uh, still young. I was in like, uh, I started when I was eight, actually. Wow. And how do you go through the roasting process? The roasting process is a tricky one. Um, what you want to do, you want to bleed it out real good. Mm-hmm. So after you you bleed it, the dogs catch it, you bleed it. Like you say, you guys, I, I say you go through the uh, skin and the boning, uh, hanging up the meat and all that stuff. You take it home, and um, some you got to go through the meat, sort it all out. You got some um, pieces that the dogs um, just bit, bit, and then oh. you kind of bruised. So yeah, people would usually do they would, they would cut it out, and just uh, toss it, give it to the dogs. Or we don't want to really waste that because it's a good meat. So even, yeah. even though the dog bit it, it's still good. So what you would do is. Um, uh, we soak it in Hawaiian salt, oh. put it in water, and it draws out the uh, the bruise. Oh, okay. The meat, the meat stays nice, but the, it'll draw out all the uh, the ucky stuff. The, uh, yeah. The, yeah, the, the uh, blood clot and all that stuff. So it'll, it'll take out all the bruise stuff. And, uh, and you just pretty much let it go for about maybe an hour or so in uh, cold water, ice ice chilled water with some uh, Hawaiian salt in there, and uh, it'll draw out all the blood. You just drain it a couple of times. And um, usually you can make uh, about, about say about a good, maybe, maybe 200 lao laos. Wow. Lao is like a, lao lao is actually like a little Hawaiian delicacy that we like to cook. Right. So it's all made with the luo leaf and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, you could either do that or you got you could smoke it. Um, or you could kalua. That's a different process there. You yeah. put it in the, in, in the underground. It's an emu, they call it. Um, there's many, many different uses for the, uh, you know, for, for pig and all that stuff. So in the Kahlua, if you could tell me a little bit more about the Kahlua process. Um, who digs the hole? Do you use the same hole over yeah, and over yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually use the same hole over and over again, time and time again. Okay. Um, it's a pretty good process. You got you got to get your kiave uh, that we use. It's a certain type of wood that we use here in Hawaii. Kiave wood. Being that we use that, it's real uh, hardwood. And it holds it, it. The heat, heat that comes off of that wood, it's excellent. I mean, it holds, it has a lot of heat. And um, you got some um, river stone that you, you can pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And there's a hole. They're all um, dippled out with holes, I guess, from all of the, uh, the rocks. They're um, they're uh, porous. Okay. Actually, you got the ones that are not not the smooth ones. Those ones, those ones blow up. Yeah. So yeah. The porous ones, and yeah. then. Um... And then you got that, and you got a layer like of. Uh, um, banana stumps to banana leaves. Then you got um, what you call that? You got a 
your basket that goes on top. The pigs are in the ba- pig is in the basket laid, layered with uh, banana leaves, tea leaves, and it's all covered up. And it's covered up with big plastic. Put dirt all around the plastic. You cover it real quick. As you roast it for the pretty much the whole night. Wow. In the morning when they, uh, you see the uh, plastic will be uh, kind of bubbled up. And someone has to stay out there and watch it, make sure the ground doesn't crack. Air gets into it, it blows up. Oh, wow. So it's, it's like, <laughs> have it, it you give ever it, experienced ex, that? turkey, with turkey. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we had Thanksgiving all over the house one year. Oh, no. It was crazy. So, yeah, um, you got, you got, it's a long process. It's an overnight process. Someone has to stay up and just kind of wash the ground, make sure it's kind of moist so it doesn't leak. And then in the morning, it kind of cooks over. And um, you got all kinds of different stuff in there to throw in to the emu because it's a big oven you know you, you, you make a rice pudding with that you got your rice pudding with that you got your la la with that you got your roast if you want to put in a roast and get the whole pig in there and that's pretty much it all right anything for somebody that's trying this for the first time any tips you want to give them hey go for it and that's it for this week Come back next week for our huge space episode. We have interviews with Chris Hadfield, Andy Weir, Dr. Louisa Preston, and Chris Patel. Bye.